Dear Father in heaven, thank you for your holy word, your precious scripture written to us to reveal your character and how you interact with us, including, Lord, in this book of Genesis. Bless our discussion and study of it this morning. We pray that you would enrich our understanding, that we might live more faithfully as your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, just as an introduction to get going in today's discussion, my kids love to wrestle. They love to wrestle with one another. They love to wrestle with me. It's, I get this uh, question, this request regularly, at least on, on the, the weekly. Um, and, but now I don't want to wrestle as much with Sam because he's getting bigger and he's starting to be able to take me down. But for the younger ones, though, especially small girls, I can still wrestle them no problem. But I'm wondering, for anyone in here, was wrestling something that you would do with your family, with your siblings, with your dad? Bob saying yes, Esther? Oh, yeah. Esther with, who would you wrestle with, Esther? With, with your brother, yeah. Brothers are good at that kind of thing. All right, we're going to wrestle with you. I've seen a lot of nodded heads. Connie, not so much. In New England, they don't do that kind of thing. It's more of a Midwest thing, perhaps. <laughs> Why do you think it is? What is it that, what do kids uh, love about wrestling, you know, getting, rolling around on the, you know, getting rug burns and everything? What, what do you think is the appeal there? I think, I think you're hugging. Okay. So it's, it's, a, it's just an opportunity. It's a masculine way of hugging. It's a masculine way of hugging. That's a great point. That's what I told my brother. Yeah. I'm just hugging you right I'm now. just hugging I you. slam your head into the ground. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's something to that. You know, as guys, sometimes we don't quite know how to show physical uh, affection with our loved ones. And so that's kind of an excuse. No mercy. No mercy there. Anybody else thoughts on, on why that might be? I, there's something interesting to it. Yeah, Jake? See who's stronger. Well, yeah, that's part. See who's stronger, right? It's an opportunity to weigh out. I mean, I got to believe within the Emory family, there have been some epic wrestling battles. You could do a, you know, a WWF match you know, with, uh, when the boys were younger anyway. Well, we're going to see a fascinating wrestling match in our chapters today that I want to spend a little bit of time with because not only is it interesting in its own right, but the way in which it points forward to the crucifixion of our Lord is profound. And uh, we're going to spend a little time digging into that. But before we do, let's uh, just do a brief overview of chapters 30 through 38 of Genesis, what we read this week uh, with our Dwell Richly readings. And, I mean, this is soap opera to the max, okay? So you have got now... Jacob, he had tried to marry Rachel, spent seven years. Then his father-in-law, Laban, uh, pulls the old switcheroo. So he ends up married to Leah, to Leah, and then waits another, works another seven years, married to Rachel as well. And you've got all the questions like, wait a second, I thought you could only get married to one person. Okay, there's, there's all that. We can talk about that if you like. But suffice it to say, Jacob's got two wives, Plus, he's got two kind of co-wives because each of them have their servants. And now, you know, there's this uh, kind of battle of the babies that starts happening because Leah's having kid after kid after kid. Rachel can't have any kids. Rachel even gets, you know, has this kind of cockamamie plan where like, okay, maybe if my servant girl has a baby, that kind of counts for me. Even though actually, since Leah's her sister, she's more related to her, uh, the, the kids from Leah than she is from her servant girl. I mean, just... All of this is sort of crazy making. Um, but then the baby, dysfunctional, yes. But there's at least 13 kids, ultimately, 12 sons and one daughter. There may have been more daughters, but we only know of, of one for sure. 
And finally, chapter 31, Jacob's ready to return to his homeland, but he has to work another six years. We get some really interesting farming advice and husbandry, which I'm curious for those of you who have worked with sheep, if this works, if you can just put strips of bark and that creates you know, striped or spotted uh, um, sheep. I think that this can only happen as a result of the Lord's uh, providential work. But it works for another six years. So tw- after 20 years... We finally, Jacob finally escapes under Laban's thumb with his family and all his kids and all his oxen and everything. Um, but he has to encounter his long-lost brother Esau. And he is understandably a little nervous about how is this going to go. Right? I stole his birthright. I, I mean, I've deceived this guy at every turn. Now we're going to uh, reunite. And so he takes steps to try and appease, ingratiate himself to his brother before he meets him. But then they finally do meet. And in what to this point is just one of the tenderest um, pictures in the, the scripture, they reconcile. And Esau shows him mercy. I mean, it's just remarkable. And uh, yeah, it's a, a beautiful picture. I'm, I have questions about that story. Then chapter 34, oof. It's to, it, we fast forward a few years and Jacob's only daughter that we know of, Dinah, raped, kidnapped, her brother's exact revenge. Everything about it is ugly and awful. In chapter 35, as the the story continues to unfold, in spite of all of this, God reaffirms his blessing and his name change of Jacob to Israel. Um, Soon thereafter, Rachel dies. Isaac also dies. We actually don't know when Leah dies. It's not even noted, which is just one more thing in which Leah just kind of gets the shaft in a lot of ways. Um, chapter 36, we, there was that kind of genealogical chapter, the generations of Esau's ascendants. But then the latter half of our readings from this week, and what we'll be in for the rest of the book, is Joseph's story, he of the multicolored coat, right? And so we might touch on that just a little bit today. Uh, I've got some questions about that. But um, let's start. I wanted to rearrange things a little bit and get right into your questions and things that you want to dis- discuss about before we do a little deep dive uh, into chapter 32. What questions were raised for you or are raised for you from these chapters? And I have a few um, for discussion, too, if, if you don't have any right off the bat. But go ahead, Hans. You want to start us off? Um, uh, one of the commentaries was suggesting that the uh, servants of the bride was a tradition that they would, if they couldn't bear children, that was what the Servant girls. Right. This is this. This, and, was, this was not just a. Oh, gee, I think we should just give my servants to you. Like, right. There was a custom behind this. Right. Right. Which does that still make it right? Well, no, I don't think so. And we've seen how this has gone wrong, gone sideways in the story of, of Abraham as well. But no, I think it's it's fair to say just as having multiple wives was uh, not uncommon in that in that culture in that context. Um, you know, be all things to all people. I suppose, no. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's an interesting point. Yeah, Tom? You know, uh, back to, uh, you know, putting the birch in front of the sheep. Yeah. People to this day do all kinds of things. Is that different things? Is it paganism? What, what is it? You know, the, right. certain rituals that carry over. Yeah, things that feel things sort of like, quasi-superstitious. Yeah. Okay, so what, uh, what did you say? Water witching. Water witching. Yeah, so Tom's asking, I mean, not just how Jacob, uh, you know, has the, uh, yeah, ha- has the, the spotted sheep, but 
people still, Christian people, will do all kinds of stuff when it comes to agriculture. Why do you suppose that is, Tom? You, you grew up around a farm. Why do you think that is? They, I think they feel like they need a little more than what might happen naturally. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so I think, I think part of it is, so Tom says, you know, they need a little more than what might happen naturally. I think part of it is that sense, especially for those who live closer to the land, closer to the sources of our life, you can't help but feel out of control in a lot of ways, right? I mean, the whole mission of modern life has the how can we make things as under our control as, as possible? And so from time eternal, well, I mean, uh, I read a good book on this in, in the last year by Andy Crouch. It was called, I forget what, what it was called, but he talked about how, and others have made this, this point, that a lot about modern technology just looks like a more dignified version of what through the ages has been kind of magic, basically. Um, and one commentator in the last hundred years who was you know, on the forefront of this technology put it precisely that way, that it's, it's a kind of modern magic, right? Now our magic, it's, it's in our pockets, you know, we, we click on it and we think, oh, well, this is, we're, we're modern technological, you know, rational people. But we rely on the same kind of magical things. There is one other piece, though, putting the best construction on it, that this goes along with the paganism thing, which uh, in pre-modern times, there was much more a sense of the... Um, the sacredness of creation and the fact that all things that God is ultimately at work in the world in everything right whereas we have much more a kind of hollowed out understanding of, of, of creation and of our life in creation a much more um, desecrated literally like desacralized understanding of creation and so while I think there, there certainly can be superstition and, and just kind of lingering paganism uh, what paganism sometimes gets right is an understanding of the, the sacredness of creation. What they get wrong is worshiping the creature rather than the creator. Right. So, yeah, Bob. Yeah, something along these lines, too. I mean, we're in a highly developed technological society, but we in the West tend to compete with nature. Yeah. And when I worked with folks overseas, they walk with the rhythm of rhythm of nature. Yep. They're very dependent on it, so they're very keen to what's going on. We think we can conquer it, so we're right. not nearly conscious of what it does and how it works. Right. And, and uh, so we work in competition. Many cultures work complementary, know yep. their place within it, and they're much more wise about how things work. It might look like magic to us, but it's simple everyday science. That's a, you know, that's a, that's a great point. I mean, and this past week is, is a case in point, too, of this kind of convergence of working with the rhythms of creation and tying it into a sacred understanding. You know what I'm going to say, don't you, Tom? Groundhog Day, okay? Um, so Groundhog Day comes out of, I've written about this before, how it has um, actually Christian roots. And the idea was that on Candlemas, or the, the, the full name is the Feast of the Purification of Mary and the Presentation of Our Lord, on February 2nd. It's 40 days after our Lord's birth. And it was at 40 days when he was brought to the temple, as was recounted in the Gospel of Luke. And it was called Candlemas because just as in um, that, that story, Simeon is there speaking of uh, the light for all nations. And so it would be, there would be the blessing of the candles, of the light on that, that feast. And became to be known as Candlemas, just like Christmas, the mass of the candles and so forth. Anyway, then um, this kind of Christendom context, especially in Western Europe, it was noted that around this time of year um, in, uh, in Europe and especially in Northern Europe and Germany, you would get, uh, it, 
what did they, it was the bear, I think, more so than groundhogs that they would look to and see when it starts coming out of its, coming out of its cave. And, uh, you know, settlers came over to Pennsylvania in particular. They didn't have as many bears to go, but they did have this ground squirrel. Badger. Uh, badger. Okay. It was a badger. Oh, it was badger? badger. Okay, there you go. Um, and it, so it was this kind of convergence of the church year and also just the natural rhythms of creation where then that's kind of how they, how they live. It's there in our traditional church calendar in, in many respects of just that, that tying too of that complementary rather than uh, it being competitive. That's well put. George, you had your hand up. Yeah, uh, uh, what Bob was talking about, different cultures and uh, adapting to nature. Uh, I think if you ever talk to an Amish farmer, yeah. they, they live by it. Yes. And uh, so they're totally different than a, a farmer that lives next door. Uh, yeah, for sure. So George is bringing up the, the contemporary example of the Amish. I know some of you live right uh, beside the Amish out here. We've got a number of them now. And you know, say what you will about, about the Amish, but they do understand this, that we're not trying to, as creatures of God, work competitively against creation, but rather complementary to it and the rhythms that God has put into it. Do they sometimes go a little bit too far in that? Perhaps, sure. But do I have a, a bout, Ann and I, each week where we think, maybe I should be Amish? Yeah, we do. You're we do. Amish so. curious. We're Amish curious, that's right. So, yeah, Chip. So breaking from the yeah. paganism here. Um, so it, it seems crazy when you, when you read this. Yeah. Like, you can just, period, right there. Like, it's, <laughs> it's a crazy story. Right. And the fact that this is the founding text for like three monotheistic religions. Right. Like, you could write a better text that seemed to be a better foundation. And like, God seems to like bet on all the wrong people, like all the bad people. Like, I mean, because like my, my wife's name is Sarah. I'm like, Sarah was, wow. Yeah. You know, and Abraham, a lot of people are, these are like, why are we shooting our kids? Tamar. I mean, she's <laughs> right. the one who comes off like she didn't do Yeah, the ones who are know? actually kind of more righteous. Right. Yep. But it's like, why, how was this, how does this text become the foundation text for three religions about some screwed up people yeah. who make bad decisions and God seems to bless the most conniving of them of them all? You are correct, sir. Like, it, it, seems, it, it doesn't seem like, it, it, it just seems crazy. It just seems crazy. I mean, has anybody else had this reaction? You've been reading through Genesis. Like, it just seems kind of bizarre, which to me just uh, reversely testifies to its veracity, to the truthfulness of it. Yeah, no because, one, no, no, exactly, no if you were trying to make up, as many mythological stories do, a story that, that demonstrates that this is going to be your foundational text, you're, not go you're going to have heroes, right? You're going to have your Hercules. You're going to have these guys that these are people that you want to emulate. Maybe they're not perfect, but they are clearly folks who are you know, upstanding, upright. What we have are a bunch of genuine sinners here, conniving, deceitful. Jacob, I mean, goodness gracious, Jacob can't get out of his own way. He is not likable. He is not likable. Um, but all of that just underscores that God is a God of promises. And what matters is his faithfulness to his promise and his word, not the faithfulness of his, of, of his emissaries, of the people who are his instruments of it. Now, does that mean that they aren't people of faith? Also, No. I mean, we, we saw it with Abraham. We see it in uh, different points with Jacob. But faith is just that receptivity, right? Faith is not a, some heroic virtue in itself. 
Faith is receiving the righteousness of the God who himself is faithful and praise God for it because otherwise we would be, we'd be lost. Yeah, tell me. I find it amazing, you know, all the stories, the possible stories of sin and deception and everything yeah. that probably was going on. They reserved Judah, Judah and Tamar because of Perez. Yes. I mean, of all the stories that could have been preserved, they preserved that one. Right. How, how <coughs> well, and again, jumping ahead, uh, Rahab is also ends up in this in this yeah. line too. I mean, the famous prostitute, and these are those names are highlighted by Saint Matthew right. when he's giving the the genealogy. So no, it's it's profound the people that he's working through. Yeah. Along, along that same transition of names through the centuries. Yeah. Right. Fur and make it feel like it was blinded dead. Yeah. Given him the Esau, the blessing, right? Right. That's right. So, but how many Esau's have you met in your life? I know. Right. Not not a lot of Esau's. We're really, I mean, Esau it comes off as one of the the more savory characters. Like Esau's pretty good. Yeah, Megan. Absolutely. Yes. So there's a part of, I guess, my humanity that feels a little okay. Not that I'm going to go sit and be like, oh, I'll get forgiveness later. Right. He did. But there's a there's a feeling of not feeling. I don't feel inadequate. Right. I feel accepted. Yes. No, that's a that's very well put. And it is. It's a, it's an anticipation of what the gospel proclamation is going to be. That these are the kind of people that Jesus came to save. It's precisely rank sinners like Jacob and like, like you and me. Yeah, Esther and then Bob. Yeah, going on with what she's saying, I, as I'm reading through all these horrible things that is going on, it, uh, it just pinpoints the, the total hopelessness and depravity mm -hmm. of the human condition. Yeah. Ever since the fall, yeah. there is no possibility of us ever uh, meriting anything right God except extermination yes right that's yeah that's exactly right in his mercy and in faithfulness to himself yes who he is yep he hasn't exterminated us he has not exterminated us although we did hear in the old testament reading today that he regards us like grasshoppers yeah. and so we do have to be careful but no that's a that's a great point yeah bob real quick what's fascinating about all these unsavories is watching their their growing in faith. Yeah. I mean, Jacob, probably the most remarkable of all of them. I mean, he goes from absolute deceiving and needing to deceive to right. a very, very different human being. He does. But it's over time. Yes. And the Lord walks, as you said in the sermon, he just walked with him, probably started barefoot. Yep, exactly. You know? But 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 that journey of faith is is profound. We get impatient with ourselves. We get impatient with ourselves. We get impatient with others. You know, that's why I, I appreciate the vulnerability of my buddy Mike in telling that story that I shared in the sermon because, you know, all too often we're like he was with his wife, right? Where we look at other folks, maybe it's people in our, our family, maybe it's, it's friends, people who are, you know, outside the faith or new to it. And we're like, why aren't you, why aren't you where I am, right? I want to hurry you along the journey. But that's never persuaded or convinced anyone, right? 
by, by just telling them how bad they are, or they shouldn't be as far back as they are. And what, what only per, persuades and convinces is meeting people where they are and then say, hey, yeah, let's, let's walk along. And then gently, slowly, over time, trying to lead them to the Savior. That's, I mean, apart from the miracles of God, which do happen, that's pretty much the way that it always happens, truly. All right, other questions about Genesis, things that have come up. Yeah, Hans, go ahead. You said that Leah got shortchanged. Well, yes and no, right? Yes and no. She, you know, where was she buried? She was buried in the cave with the patriarchs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Sarah wasn't. Well, and who, I mean, Sarah where does the, Rachel who's, wasn't. right, Rich was, who, and whose line does the Messiah ultimately come from? It's, it's through Leah. It's not through Rachel. Um, as much as Rachel was the beloved one, the one that, that Jacob really wanted, Leah, the one, the despised one, the overlooked one, she becomes, the, again, it's just, this is the pattern of God's working over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was curious about the aging of people. Mm. So Adam. And, yep. And it's shortening, Noah, isn't it? Uh, Eight, nine hundred years old. Yep, Methuselah. And then all of a sudden Abraham is 90 and he's old. Right. Yeah, yeah we're seeing it. How, and Isaac makes it to, I think, 180 or something like that. Oh, okay. Uh, but even still, like, it's, it's definitely shortening. And yeah. so there's that sense of it's just, it's almost like you're seeing sin wear down. You might think of it like friction, right? Where there's friction, so ultimately anytime there's friction, eventually things are going to come to a, to a stop. And it's like sin has introduced this friction, put some sand in the gears of creation. And so those lives are starting to get shorter and shorter, and things are getting uglier and uglier. So, yeah, we're, you see that play out in the middle of the book here. Charlie, did you have a question? No, okay. Well, I'm, a couple other things I wanted to raise for, for discussion. We kind of touched on Leah already. I want to uh, peek at... Jacob and Esau's story at the beginning of chapter 33, because it made me think of one. I want to see if, if I'm just the only one that's hearing this, a story from later in the, in the Bible. So this is the beginning of chapter 33, and it's, it's kind of funny because Jacob has prepared, he's basically trying to buy off his brother, right? He's, he's ready to send him all this stuff. What's that? It's, it's worked before, right? <laughs> uh, and so he's, he's coming with all these things. Um, so there he is, and verse 3, uh, Jacob himself goes before everyone else. He bows himself to the ground seven times till he came to his brother. This is a profound show of, of humility before him. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And then, you know, Esau lifts up his eyes. He sees the women and children. He says, who are these with you? It's the children God has graciously given your servant. They haven't seen each other for 20 years. His oldest kid at this point um, would be uh, Reuben, right, who is probably, you know, 13, something like that. Um, and so, I mean, it's just seeing all of them. And then in verse 8, Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I met? You know, we're like, why did you bring out all this stuff? And Jacob's kind of embarrassed at that point, right? Like, <clears throat> oh, all this, yes. Uh, I was just trying to buy you off, basically. But that verse 4 of Esau ran to meet him, embraced him, fell on his neck, kissed him, they weep together. Are there any other stories that makes you think of in the Scripture? Yeah. Okay, good. Prodigal son. Is that what you were going to say, Jacob? Yeah, well, yeah. 
Joseph and his brothers too. So I mean, within Genesis, you have that. But it was especially making me think of the prodigal son. So keep your finger there and um, turn to Luke 15. And I don't know totally what to, to make of this and wonder whether Jesus has this in mind or not. Um, but in Luke 15, yeah, familiar parable of the two sons, not just the prodigal son, but the elder brother too, the two sons. Well, this is where the younger son comes back and he, he, um, you know, he has his whole plan for how he's going to be reconciled to the father. And then verse 20 of Luke 15, and he arose and came to his father. But while, and I mean, just like Jacob, right? He's got his whole plan for how he's going to ingratiate himself. But then it says, uh, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. I mean, the verbs are almost the same beat for beat as you have with Jacob and Esau. So I don't know totally what to, to make of that or what Jesus intends by that allusion. And I think it is an allusion to the story of Jacob and Esau. But any, any of you have any thoughts on that or what might be the significance of that tie? Well, huh? yeah. well, certainly it's a story that they would have known. Correct, yes. And it's like, can relate to it. This yep. Is, this is what He's talking about the patriarch. Yes. You know, the younger son. And the... Right. So it's calling to mind that elder brother, younger brother side of it. And so you tie that in with the, the parable of the two sons. You've got a younger brother and an elder brother. And how are they going to receive one another? Bob, I know you've got thoughts on this. Well, you got, I think that one's the most profound is Jesus is contrasting the two brothers with Jacob and Esau. Right. But you look at the Jacob story there, he's got a lot on his mind, he's got a lot on his heart, he's got a lot of comeuppance. Sure, yeah. And he he has his come to his senses moment mm -hmm, mm -hmm. with wrestling with the Lord. And so he's very much the prodigal returning home. Yeah. And so this is this is that moment right. when he returns home. This is that moment. Now, something else about this story. Sarah, were you gonna say something? Okay. Um, so this is fascinating then, and maybe this is a segue to um, what I want to talk about next. But in, in uh, let's see, oh, verse 10 of chapter 33. You know, he's kind of urging Esau to receive the present from him. And then middle of that verse, he says, For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Now, this is profound in at least two ways. One is, as Jacob is conveying there, he's like, if you want to know what God's face, which is to say his central, his core character is like, it's in mercy, it's in mercy towards sinners. It's in that acceptance of those who don't deserve to be accepted and receiving them back. Uh, we'll get into, in weeks to come, Exodus. And in Exodus 34, actually, I think it might even be in our reading for worship next week, our Old Testament reading is uh, this, this statement from the Lord, the Lord who is merciful, uh, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, okay? that this is his, the, the core of his character. And so it's, it's so profound for Jacob to say that here about Esau because he's spot on. This is what the face, the character of God is like, but even more so because of what happened to Jacob the night before. And so let's, let's delve into that a little bit more. Chapter 32 fascinating story and uh, I mean just 
So much here. Let me just read, read it um, straight through, and then we'll talk about it. Okay, chapter 32, verse 22. Again, this is Jacob is, he, he's at the end of his rope. He's preparing to be met by his brother, and he thinks, probably just murdered, right? Everything that he's worked for, it's just about to be lost. Verse 22, that same night, he arose, he took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. Hmm. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel don't eat the sinew of the thigh that's on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of his thigh. Okay, so here it is. Jacob's all by himself, and then all of a sudden, there's a man there wrestling with him, taking him on. But is it just a man? It becomes plain that this is not just a man. Um, and through the centuries, interpreters have said that this is kind of like a pre-incarnate presence of, of the Lord. That, and this isn't the only place by any means where this happens. Of but, Jesus? Or? Well, uh, yeah, of the Son of God, right? Of, of Jesus. That he is already kind of taking human form and it's mentioned one other place in Hosea, where Hosea um, kind of says maybe it's, it's an angel, but the word angel could also be messenger, and that's not uncommon in the Old Testament. This idea that the, what was the Malach Yahweh, the angel of the Lord, is kind of has this presence where he's not God the Father, and yet he's also God. We see this in Genesis 18. Uh, we see it in, in the book of Exodus. Uh, another place, a real close uh, one with this, is in the Judges 6, where you have the... Um, conversation where Samson is also asking, like, what is, what is your name? Or maybe it's Samson's parents. What is your name? I cannot tell you. It's, one, it's too wonderful. He is the wonderful one, the counselor. But in any case, um, I think it's best to understand this as kind of almost like a pre-incarnate presence of the Lord. Now, if that's true, what does this tell us now? That here he gets down in the dirt and just starts wrestling with Jacob. The word for wrestle there is the same root word that has to do with dirt in Hebrew. So you just picture him. And I don't, did any of, were any of you wrestlers in high school or still to this day? Okay. How long does a wrestling match usually go for, Hans? Six minutes. Six, uh, well, six minutes. Three or four seconds. Three or four <laughs> seconds for Hans, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> All night long. I, never, I, I always won by points. So yeah, okay. <laughs> six minutes. Six minutes. <laughs> uh, and, I mean, this is just, he's just wrestling with, so, as Luther would say, what does this mean? If this is indeed the Lord who comes to wrestle, and not only that, but who's about, who's about to win this match by points? Jacob, Jacob is. 
Um, now, does that mean that in some weird way, Jacob is somehow stronger than the Lord himself? Well, no, because when it comes down to it, what, is, what does this man wrestling with him do? He just touches his hip and dislocates his hip, right? <laughs> like, um, at any given time, at any given time, he could have put him down, but he doesn't. Why? Why do you think? What is this? What, what, do, we, what do we mean to, to take away from this and what it shows us about our God? Yeah, Walt. It's good to struggle. Mm, yes, it's good to struggle. That the struggle itself is part of the process, right? Good. Yeah, other thoughts? Kind of like uh, Lucy and uh, Charlie Brown with the football. <laughs> <laughs> Who's Lucy and who's Charlie Brown in this analogy? The Lord is Lucy. The Lord, the Lord is Lucy. Well, I mean, it's interesting. I, yes. But there's almost a sense in which the Lord lets himself get bested here. He lets himself be Charlie Brown, too, to a certain extent, right? Yeah, Megan. Yeah, I was thinking about sometimes when an adult plays a kid in a game for the mm. first time, you're not going to, you know, like win and slam the game down right. in front of the kid and, and really break it up. But you're going to model how to play it. So that means you're going to hold back a little on how well you can play. Yeah. Because you're modeling a level of mastery for them. Okay, good. Build up to. Yeah, you're, you're building them up to that. There's a hilarious Saturday Night Live skit from a few years ago, though, where Peyton Manning was the host, the quarterback, and he goes out to play a game with the kids, and he just goes full bore. He's just gunning spirals. But you're right. That's not the way that, that God does. He doesn't come out and say, oh, come on. Yeah. I see that God's with us in our struggle. Yes. He's intimately involved with us. He's not having just his but he's intimately involved. He's with us in the struggle. So the story, and I mentioned this in my email on this chapter this week, that it made me think of is the, the story of Jesus and the Canaanite woman. In, uh, it's in the Gospel of Matthew and the other ones. And this is the one, you remember this one, where Jesus just comes off as being totally heartless, right? Where she has the, this daughter that's in need, and she comes up, please, Jesus, won't you help? And at first he just gives her the cold shoulder. And then he's like, hey, I've only come for the, the lost sheep of Israel. And then he goes on to say, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Do you remember this? And it's just like, oh, Lord, this seems just so unkind, unfeeling. Meanwhile, she's just struggling. She's wrestling. But then she turns the table. She says, yes, Lord, and yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. In other words, you call me a dog? Okay, but I know that you're such a generous master, there's going to be crumbs. That's all I want. And Jesus' response shows us that he knew where he was going all along. He says, then Jesus answered her, oh woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. Yeah, Bob. Well, the invitation to wrestle with God is huge. Yeah. And to recognize it. That, I mean, in a way we're suffering or wrestling, but, but there's something profound about the invitation. Wrestle with me, please. Please. Yes. Because there's a relationship being forged in this moment. That's it. Oh, at full board, yeah. give me all you got. Yep. Please, every little thing. Yeah. You know, I grew up as an older child, so we, you, you kind of grow up in a family differently. Priscilla's the baby in the family, so you can tell everything about her because of that. But um, <laughs> she would say as she got to know the Lord, he's the kind of God I can crawl into his lap and beat on his chest. Yeah. I mean, I'd never do that, Priscilla. That's right. Just not, you know, 
that she just sees him as that invite. And right. And the Lord's Prayer this morning. Yes. Are you coming or not? Yeah. The invitation to wrestle with me in every way, shape, and form. I love you that much. Please. Yes. Bring it on. He wants us to wrestle with him. I, I love that part from the catechism we read today. That by these words, God tenderly invites us to believe that we are his dear children and he is our dear father. So that with all boldness and confidence, we might ask him as children ask their father. And I'm mean, just thinking bi biographically for Luther, this is where he's just become a dad. He writes the small catechism for his little Hans. He is, uh, Luther was born in 1483. I was born in 1983. And so I can kind of track along in my mind really easily where he was. He was in his 40s. He was in his mid-40s when he has his first son because he'd been a monk before. He wasn't having kids. And he's just, he has this sense of, this is what kids do, right? God bless them. Kids, they just, they, they lay it all down. They're not trying to be polite. We have to teach them to be polite and to ask nicely. And it's good, it's good. But just that sense of uninhibited asking, that intimacy, that's, God wants us to live there in that place, that wrestling with him. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. I think we would be remiss not to also see how, this more directly points us to Christ himself, though, too, and the crucifixion. Because Jesus says, he says in John 10 and, and similar things elsewhere, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. So he is a Lord who permits himself to wrestle in the dirt and be bested. He is a Lord who lets his own creatures kill him, not because he couldn't stop them. He himself says, I could have called down legions of angels to stop this at any time, but I don't. But precisely to give to his very murderer, the ones who murder him, to give to them his blessing, even as he did to Jacob. He loses, in other words, so that you and I might win. That's, that's the way that he's working. He loses so that you and I might win, as it says in 1 Corinthians 15. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, this is the pattern of how our Lord works throughout the scriptures. And we see it prefigured here in the story of, of Jacob and the Lord. Yeah, Chip. But Jacob's got a limp. And Jacob's got a limp. Nobody get, you, don't get a, you don't come away from fighting with God just totally scot-free, nice and clean, right? You're going to be limping a little bit. You're going to be limping. But I think it, it's... Uh, significant too that uh, along with that limp he's given a new name right he's given a new name and so also you and I are given a new name by our God who wrestles with us but says I'm putting my name upon you now that you are no longer going to be marked by your sin Jacob's name means the deceiver but now I'm giving you a new name Israel the one who wrestles with God so likewise you and I we're no longer carrying the, the name of sinner around our necks that that's going to define you but instead you have the name of saint you have the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit branded upon you. You have the name of Beloved of Christ's own. That's, that's what defines you now, even as we limp along in faith. You know? A couple of things with this, because early in that chapter, I think it starts off in that chapter, if I'm right. I never saw before until this time through that angels met him on the way. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so he knows God's there yeah. protecting yes. him. He's got that figured out, and yet he's still got it. I better figure this puppy out. Right. He's like his grandfather. I know I got the promises, but eh. in both cases, God gives them a physical sign yeah. that says not just by faith and whatever else you think is necessary. But yeah. By faith, 
alone. Right. And the wrestling is when he learns the alone. Mm, that's well put. I hadn't thought about it that way, but that limp is almost in its own way, has a kind of sacramental overtone to yeah, it. It's, it's, the circumcision is, I mean, for Abraham, I got to mark you in such a way you get alone. Right. You're both hobbling along for different reasons after you encounter yes. God, but that's uh, to re remember that alone. I see another hand over here. Yeah, Hans. Uh, when is wrestling? Was I don't dark. know his weight class. No, I don't know. It, it, it was dark. Right. Is, you know, some commentators were saying that this is so that he couldn't see God's face. That, that very well may be. You know, I, I, he, he says, I've seen him face to face and yet have been spared. Yeah. But yeah, I think there's, there's something to that. But I mean, again, this is why, to tie back to Esau, when he says to Esau the next day, oh, it's like seeing the face of God. He knows whereof he speaks, right? He knows whereof he speaks. All right, I want to I close um, today with an, a parting thought, something also to prime you for the week to come as we continue our reading through Genesis with the story of Joseph. And by the way, just real quick, what are your, if, if you've already read chapter 37 or you know the story, what are your initial impressions of Joseph? Good guy, bad guy? Somebody, clueless. what's that? Clueless. clueless. Sure, like, you kind of want to give him a noogie, right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, and something that I guess I had overlooked or not thought about is he, we're told, he's 17. He's a teenager. With everything that, that comes good and everything that can be frustrating about teenagers, he's, he's a little bit imprudent, we, we might say, right? Hey, brothers, did you check out this coat that Dad made for me? Right? Let me tell you about my dream that I had about how you're all bowing down to me. Like, okay, you're kind of asking for it. Um, <clears throat> but one of the things that we'll see throughout the, the story of Joseph is what you might call the absent presence of God. The absent presence of God, paradoxically, where many times we see him thrown in a well, sold into slavery, left in prison, going, I mean, the whole incident with Potiphar, I mean, just back and forth it goes, where it's like, where is God in the midst of this? And yet we'll get these clues. There'll be these little statements mentioned in passing about, oh, but the Lord was with Joseph through all of it. Just here and there, it'll, it'll kind of pop up. And in uh, Lutheran terms, in particular theological terms, we talk about the theology of the cross, which is that we see God precisely in the midst of the negative space. It's in those times when he seems most absent that he is, in fact, most present. So that's how it is for Joseph. And I want, want to encourage you, as you're reading the story of Joseph this week, to look for that, that absent presence of the Lord in the midst of that, where it seems like, man, Joseph is just being kind of forsaken here. And yet all throughout, uh, not to do a little bit of a spoiler alert, but it's you know what they intend for evil, God intends for good that he is working in and through uh, those hardships. So it's a powerful thing. Any last questions, last thoughts before we go uh, today? I hope you're enjoying Genesis. We're going to be wrapping it up over the next week and a half. And then uh, next up, starting on Ash Wednesday and throughout the season of Lent, the book of Exodus. And I'm delighted. This is a total liturgical, biblical nerd thing. But how many days are there in Lent? 40 days. And how many, how many chapters are there in Exodus? There are 40 chapters in Exodus, you guys. When I realized that, I can't tell you how excited I was. So uh, we're going to be reading Exodus 
In the season of Lent, our midweek services are going to be uh, focused on, on Exodus and the, the path to freedom and how that points forward to the freedom we have in Christ. So super excited about that. Um, but meanwhile, we'll, we'll conclude with this story of Genesis. So God be with you this week. Please, prayers for Bob and Matt and me as we are getting on the road uh, presently. We're going down to St. Louis, and it should be a good week. So, but we'll be back next Sunday. See you then. God bless.